Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yawpcast for May 8th, 2023, featuring poet Imogen Christian Smith leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yawp is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held in our new space at 144 Montague Street in Brooklyn Heights and live streamed via Zoom. For more information and to sign up for the Yawp, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Caitlin Gilmet, Joan Pichardo, Brian Numi, Elia Osmanova, Madeline McSherry, Naomi Brenman, Catherine Vaughn, Anne Herendine, Hunter Hodkinson, John Agro, John Gavin White, Emma Fuchs, Alexis Dibbs, Michael Cohen, Jess Gagne, Megan Gwiltz, Ava Kohler, Daniel Muchnick, Jim Stewart, Arthur Russell, and last but not least, Kayla Schwab. Alright, let's get right to the poetry, the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for May. Enjoy. Alright, y'all, we are gonna get started again with the open mic. There is great energy in the room. We we were just playing Naughty by Nature. It's always a good night <laughs> when you're listening to 90s hip-hop. So, uh, how many hip-hop fans do we have in the room? Okay. That's, I feel like that's more than usual. <laughs> I just found out that Kayla is a big hip-hop fan. We're talking, so we're, you know, Black Star's performing at the end of the month. Well, I take it from that silence that nobody fucking knows who Black Star is. <laughs> Raise your hand if you know who Black Star is. Yeah, wow. This is Brooklyn Poets, y'all. Next time, next time you come to Brooklyn Poets, make sure to Google Black Star and so you know the answer to that question. <laughs> anyway, uh, they are uh, reuniting, performing at the end of May during the Brooklyn Poets Festival, but we're talking about going on the night of the opening reception. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, as they say. What an interesting phrase, right? Neither here nor there. Where does that phrase come from, Imogen? (laughs) Yeah, good answer. Okay, uh, a few ground rules. Ground rules, those are so so stupid to say ground rules. Uh, uh, Just a couple of announcements (laughs) about the open mic and the format. If you haven't been to the Yop open mic before, we record the open mic every month as a podcast that we publish as the Yopcast, and we'd love it if you'd subscribe to that on iTunes and rate us five stars. That'll help more listeners find the podcast. If you are reading tonight and don't want to be in the recording, you don't have to be. Just tell me afterwards. I can take you off the recording. Uh, we also vote for Poem of the Month at every Yop open mic, uh, and the number to vote for that, you'll see it on the chalkboard if you're in the back. You already have the number, but if you're not in the back... The number to vote is the Brooklyn Poets cell phone number, 718-374-1953. Wait until the end of the evening. Text us the poet's name that you would like to vote for. If you're not sure how to spell it, that's fine. Just try your best. We usually can figure it out. It's very rare that we can't figure it out. 718-374-1953. That is the number to vote for Yacht Poem of the Month. The 12 winners of Yacht Poem of the Month over the course of the year face off 
for Poem of the Year honors in December at the Yacht Poem of the Year contest. If you win Poem of the Month, you also win a Brooklyn Poets tote bag and an invitation to our awards gala in December, which is amazing. 718-374-1953. That is the number to vote for Poem of the Month. If you are reading tonight for the open mic, you get one poem, three minutes max. Please keep to your time. and helps us potentially get to people on the wait list. Kayla, I see, is on the wait list, so she will be very angry if you go over your time. So please keep to your time. <laughs> Before we get to the open mic proper, we are going to hear from our featured reader. Please give it up again for Image and Christian Smith. Do I, am I three minutes max too? Four or five? Okay. That, cha that changes things. That changes things. Um, I didn't know that there was a co competitive element to this. I don't. I don't want to win. Um, in fact, I was. This. This is my book, Stimmy Things, and it was recently nominated for an award. And. Um, it, di it didn't win, but the book that did win is over there. It's by my good friend, Wo Chan. It's called Togetherness. Um, we were both nominated for Transsexuals of the Year. <laughs> Literary Transsexuals of the Year. Anyway, um, I like definitively did not want to win, and then when I didn't win, I was kind of like, there's a lot of emotions in that. Which is just to say, everyone's a winner. Um, whether you make it to the final yop in the Thunderdome or not. Okay, I'm gonna read some poems. Um, this is the first one from the book. It's called Open Letter Utopia. And I wrote it after I saw this really incredible documentary called Audrey Lord. The Berlin Years, um, which if you can find that somehow, it's a German documentary, obviously, but um, it's really good. Linger with me here from the beginning. We know not each other's suffering, our specific subjugations. Every eye, after all, born bloody, post-dilation, birth douse, loose bowel, slip. Tell me who mothered you, bore your softness, bathed your limbs. We become how we come housed in hand-me-downs, our forebears frugalities, the wisdom of a seasoned pan. Do you find yourself entranced with the by and by? Dare you gutter, glitter, blink and lick? Imagine my dreams my kinkiest fantasies, what I allow inside and won't, how reckless pleasure can be. Tell me your words for gender. I need know them to see you, to hear you in all your splendor now. Hot for sound, mouth me names. Speak lavender, vibrator, coriander, pulse, hydrate, spectate. Toothpaste and gush, cuff my wrists leather to sky. This is what I mean by slower, right there. Hold me down, now. 
Listen, I give you all my laughter, poems for balm, for barricades, switch and raw, cobble ghosts and press leaves, pit fire, jubilee, fisty and clamoring, no freedom without joy. You need to know a radical touch, that my yes means yes, my no, no, and that yes and no and maybe may shift while we linger, articulate, break apart as moments ask. Does your blood taste iron? I can't say, having never bit the bit. Did you step from dream clear-eyed, cherry-fleshed, or rifle closets for dress and hem of secret packs? Have you come to terms with your femcock, flat chest, deep voice and spotty face giving something you'd wish to keep away? Skin, trauma, arithmetic, class, rusty pipe bitterness, laden, wet. Will you let me be wrong, grasping at new? We haven't got the whole picture. Ask for whom do you struggle? Whose block, whose street, whose power to say enough? Not now, no more, not ever, when? Time. Oh. I really hate reading off of a phone, but since I came totally unprepared, looks like this is what's going to happen. I'm obsessed with red bursts quickening underbelly, my platelets and poemless spleen, pinkening fascia bagging up lungs, black hole holy and washed out bones, the self-contained knowing which is not absolute. Cracks of listening, milk of new mornings, with and to the body's molecular gastro-oxygen-rich perspectives. To love and be loved, present in multiples, affect and entrails open sourced, body plus people, more people at once, how at once makes the present stretch forward toward four great corners as I feel myself becoming part of an organism so much larger than. The paradox being that any I gets subsumed or excoriated, redistributed amongst, but in a way that edges equilibrium, teases without achieving, begs a tender tending. State names bodies in relation to surveillance. This apparatus forges desire in the state. A monstrous reception greets what pegs me. A useless whimsy beyond a man's watch. These hours worth more to me than. If I ask to get fucked, it means I need language ungagged, imagination until meaning goes deeper, 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 deeper. Not just the matter of words themselves, though they're material too, in as much as they weld worlds, but into places you suppose are irreducible. I'm asking you to let language evoke through you, become the verb and trust your smarts. There's bacteria mealing in you yet. It's true, everything that is has already had its moments and nothing is new under the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun. But likewise so that becoming or being is a matter of perspective 
angle shim, a slight jostle and vantage, just a wee bit novel, adding feed to the new. I let my guard go unfettered down the bus lanes, finger the budding grove, this warm flash seepage in my chest, nipples hormonal and peeking through stitch. When the estradiol dropped, I immediately knew the immensity of my own dignity and how this binds me one to whole. On the other side of the poem, we'll say I fell hard, crushed on myself, flashed a bucktooth helium grin to all the girls and true punks in the world, my body more me and mine, therefore possessing the wherewithal to sway sluttier, ecologically, kropotkiny, emotionally fuckably sluttier than it ever had before. I ate a bowl of borscht, three pierogies and a cookie before walking myself home. Fulton Street class in Pacific, something loose in my pockets. Desiring desires, I learn to ask for them. I ask the wind, douse me hot evenings. I ask Izzy if I can kiss them beneath the Myrtle Broadway stop. I ask the bodega worker to hold a neighbor's keys and later bring Liss pilfered marigolds. I ask the misconnection to miss me back, light like the life spooled across her aging face, Q train, East River, Manhattan, Hearts Bridge. Ask my body to feel a way through sentence or line or image sensation towards undersurge and tension, the possibility of abrasion, assault, excoriation, romance by the by and by. I ask Erica, can we hold hands on Houston a year after COVID paused what physicality we knew? I asked the moon last night, coin full with Aries, does rage have an end? And if so, pain too, because manifold forms of ache always sore me, coming at the tip of forever's lips. Words are the material shaping objects that will later be hurled at us. Us evokes a many that may or may never cohere. Another question of desire is you and you like it. Everything thirsty below the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun. Evenings are for sex and soft drugs. A handful of paragraphs written or read. Gravitational erotic flotsam between precarity and nasal swabs. Trips to several pharmacies, markets, bookstore and booze. The rave in Queens last Thursday night. All slick with lube tongue sweat. So rare's a pleasure, oft guilt in plague times. Naked in bed, folding my sorrows, listening to Julius Eastman as cars zip Pacific in pitch, dream. Come on now. Save jealousy for pop songs. Boys with guitars and self-referencing bands. Worms to the ear tunneling fast about the truck bed. Sunrise and wind, drunk on drugs, body 22. God damn, god damn, god damn. The dynamic possibilities of a grammatically incoherent sentence. What a long, long, long form slippage. When I tried my hand at heteronormativity, no unhinged happiness could touch me. What loss we've known. Look deep. See the moon's empty oceans play earth tide. See pandemic rats strew trash for pigeons. Pleasure of worm soil. My boo loves a lover's love, so delicious. I'm ecstatic. Residue of breath brought home to revel. 
how would I love you if I didn't love your pleasures? Let me bring marshmallows, bring chocolate and cherries, pull kindling for fires, stoking out back. It's a fantasy where I'm happiest, knowing my friends are writing and or fucking, merrily fingering quite publicly, barely knowing one another and still adjacent pages, mutual pleasure, mutual sweet onions in the garden. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Take it away. All right. Keep it going for Imogen Christian Smith. Their book, Stemmy Things, is for sale in the front. We are on to our open mic, our first reader of the evening. I'm hoping to get your last name right. Is it Caitlin Gilmet? All right. Give it up for Caitlin Gilmet. Caitlin, I'm nervous. I haven't done this before. <laughs> um, my, my poem's title is a question, so I guess that's appropriate. Um, it's just I'm dash question mark, sort of a question of self and of questioning myself. <clears throat> I'm doing the math or maybe doing philosophy, doing introspection, doing poetry badly. Am I a sum of all of my parts slash past selves or just one of many permutations of possible identities at any given time chosen at random by some celestial bingo caller slash kino screen playing in the corner of a dive bar to no one? I've never seen or known anyone to play kino, but maybe everyone is playing in secret. How do they hide their excitement? Never more in love with and less aware of myself than when I'm center stage, voice loud, putting forth, put together, feeling like everyone knows that I knew what the one thing to take off before I left was. Will I ever feel like I'm no longer trying too hard? I bet it feels so nice to just feel like trying. God, imagine the euphoria of just doing. Is everyone lying about that? Who can explain it? Please, please, please. In a sentence, in a thesis, in a poem, in an essay, in an A24 film, in a telepathically, cosmically transmitted feeling direct to the brain veins, please, I need it, I'm addicted. I can tell no, I'm going to let it kill me. Follow-up question, can you be addicted to something that doesn't exist? Wait, LOL, C, colon, desire. All right, thanks very much, Caitlin. Give her one more round of applause for doing this for the first time. Our next reader, I hope I get your name, is it Joan Picardo? Pichardo. All right, give it up for Joan Pichardo. One fine morning, the sun shining through my window, I will notice this, the color, shape, Stare at it long enough to get blinded, forcing myself to stare and tell myself how beautiful this is. The warmth, life, nice and cozy, nothing to do. Sit slippers, a golden robe, royal blue, kimono dragons, 
hot cocoa with marshmallows, got my feet up, no weight of burdens, dragging me down. Take a sip and leave ring around the coffee table. Leave the coffee cake wrapper on the floor, crumbs too. Roaches scurrying around. Do not have the anger to stomp them, took a moment from the race. No one will pay mine, stay in. No calls, no poppins, no visitors. My neighbor knocked a few times, but I'm not getting up. And whatever he wants, screw him. Cops will have to batter the door down to get in. Television is unplugged. Phones are turned off. Nowhere I can be reached, even if you tried. Take my place, but for now I'm sitting down. My mind isn't racing 100 miles an hour, blurred with nasty visions. The past is non-existent. No disappointments, failures, bad marks, rejections, missed opportunities. I should have, could have, who did what would have, done this or that with whom, I don't care, and it doesn't enter my space. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. I think you're the first person that read for the Yapo mic with a backpack on. <laughs> in transit. Our next reader is, I appreciate that you put in parentheses how to pronounce your name. I appreciate that more than you know. Give it up for Brian Numi. This is about a antidepressant and the pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly that manufactures it. And this is a first time reader here. Yeah. My mind needs that drug. Lilly spent billions researching, developing, marketing, dispensing, pushing, never to recall. Lots of money making, stock options for the boss. His helicopter, a ride to work. Does he think about me as he whoosh, whoosh, whooshes past my house twice a day? Every capsule dosh for him, every capsule my redemption. I know when he stays home. He doesn't know I cannot leave my house. My helicopter ride whoosh, whoosh, whooshed me to the hospital roof, same town where he works. Try quitting me, it says. See what happens, cold turkey. That sandwich on Saturday after Thanksgiving dry like Christ's Sunday body. A slight possibility of salvation, thick, syrupy cranberries like Christ's Sunday blood. Am I saved? He died and I wasn't born. Or taper down like that Christmas candle dining room table. Can all of Lily's work give birth to me what I need to finish this meal? How I failed. That I was born like him, born to save what couldn't be saved. 
was her life's disdain, how she exampled me to disdain mine, a marker for Eli to develop the drug. Did he think about me who didn't exist when he died for me? Any days off, Jesus? How does my body know which side effect to offer me? Insomnia, nausea, anxiety, thinking that I should read Duck's suicide, subway car in town, speeding a cella in the country. Impotent in both places, all parts of place. Eli, Ailey, forsaken. Can I leave now to please Jesus? Thank you. All right, thank you, Brian. Powerful poem. Our next reader is Elia Osmanova. Give it up for Elia. See, poetry to me is like a foreplay. It's the presence of a breath that leads the journey of a flesh that you may daydream about. Trying to connect the sunrise to the blowing sound of the wind, yet you are never fully accurate. It's like this endlessly sophisticated painting that you'll never be able to describe or see. You have to taste from bottom to the edges to the top, piercing in the middle and then stop, just so you can slowly chew it thoroughly and endlessly. The journey that has no end but a beginning, allowing words to dance on your neck, remaining as long as it can, so naked, so vivid, so deliciously crawling on you. No, in you. It's the depth that I only feel when I move my limbs that I feel in poetry. That's it, <laughs> thank you. All right, thank you, Elia. On deck is Naomi Brennan, but our next reader is Madeline McSherry. Give it up for Madeline. This is called Ode to Bentime Protests. My friends tell me about their little girl who refuses sleep, kicks off the covers, crawls out of the bedsheets, strikes closed baby fists onto their bedroom door. She invents every pretext to avoid the darkness. She's awake, thirsty, hungry, and I understand her. How daunting it can be to go to bed alone, to slumber solitary in an unlit room, defenseless and exposed. Perhaps it's us who stand a fighting chance, those who protest, laments, lament night's loneliness, request company. I won't die here alone, we will, hoping perhaps we won't die here at all. 
our bodies nestled warm, blanketed in this guise of safety, as if no harm could come to me beside you, as if love would keep me nourished and alive. And maybe it's true, at least all that love carries with it. Milk-filled breasts, legs to fetch you when you cannot move, and voices that cradle you to sleep. You cherished creature, no longer alone, yet still so utterly vulnerable. Thank you, Madeline. On deck is Catherine Vaughn from London. Our next reader is Naomi Brenman. Hello, everyone. This poem is called Call Me Crazy. On the floor thrashing, breath rapid as nothing spins in my head but rage and an appetite for striking matches in the form of screams, because something is wrong inside. You wouldn't know it on a day like today. For example, I tell Luke I was crazy. He says, oh, you mean crazy like shit-faced? I say, no, I don't. He says, oh, you mean crazy like really high? I say, no. He says, you mean crazy like having an off day? I say, no. I mean crazy like spectators purchased tickets to watch the play in my living room from the house across the street. I chose Hamlet, a play within a play, and within it I am on the floor, unable to regulate, but still human, remember that. I mean crazy like I'm a regular at the Kings County Hospital R building where the sinkstone of knobs and daytime TV is spliced with static where I see my psychiatrist weekly because she is concerned. I mean crazy like a suicide risk with a history, 15 days of meds at a time to prevent the preventable if possible. I mean crazy not as a euphemism, but with kinship for the man unhinged on an F train who could have been me and was me when I fled home with my favorite things in two bagu bags, a negative balance on my checking account, going to the Midwest at 2 a.m. outside Penn Station, posted the entire ambulance ride on my story because I was scared. And once a month, I sit in a green chair at the clinic at the Kings County Hospital R building and wait for a nurse to stick a needle in my ass, feel the fluid push inside like I am a wild creature that must be subdued. After a friend died, I wanted to see how far down it went. And I know now that though you see me as like you, I see myself as like the man digging through the trash at J Street Metrotech, who I met in inpatient. Like the woman just looking for $2, who sometimes forgets to ask because she is too busy talking to herself. <laughs> but when she tells me she loves me, I say it back. Ask anyone who's ever loved me if I've shattered their heart and twisted the blade. Mm -hmm. and, that, and they'll tell you I'm crazy like batshit, but human. Mm -hmm. And if something was wrong inside and I lost it on the F train, would you let them kill me too? Thank you, Naomi. 
Amazing poem. Catherine Vaughn is ready to go. Give it up for Catherine. Um, good evening. I'm reading a poem called uh, Moroccan Sun. It's a new poem. Moroccan Sun. The song all along the watchtower, a Hendrix rendition played in the background. It transcended sex, eclipsing every human need, a trip into a dreamland. I closed my eyes, luminescence filled my mind. I was transported to Marrakesh, where a thousand suns set. I lay upon a rooftop in Marrakesh. I tasted God and felt the universe. I danced on mesmeric tiles, breathed in my aura and watched shadows cavort. My heart pumped psychedelic beats. My blood ran dry with liquid gold. The air was addictive with scents of mandarin and jasmine. You kissed me and sensuality entered. I saw an endless sky, a citrine sun. I moved in submission to the music the rhythm captured me and I was a slave to Hendrix. Chords and melodies made love, pulsating desires, reverberations of lust. Strapped to the rhythms of the Stratocaster, dancing in all the ways he wanted me to, I held in passion, a rapture of sins released. I collapsed, ready to die, but the music still played. Free spirit, defiant redeemer, no longer a lost soul, but one with God, the universe, and Hendrix's guitar. In that moment, I died and revived in rhapsody. The song still played until the moon stole the sun's place and the stars watched over me. The night sky begged me to dance again, and I did, until I passed out. The voodoo child cried, I drowned in a purple haze, then collapsed into velvet. I lived as bold as love, and angels cried in envy. But I had to die that night, and I did, just how I wanted to. In your arms, with your tears of goodbye, and kiss of eternal love that I tasted moments before my death. All right, Catherine. Catherine's wearing an old school Brooklyn Poets Auden t shirt. The old uh, organic dark gray t shirt that we used to make. Um, yeah, we have some uh, old hard crane tees in the dark organic gray because nobody buys hard crane tees because y'all, nobody reads hard crane. Y'all know, raise your hand if you know who hard crane is. Okay, okay, that's more than. <laughs> I thought there would be. It's more than Black Star for sure. Uh, wow. Super awkward moment. I'm not sure why. Probably because I disconnected the mic cable. In any case, give Catherine Vaughn a round of applause for wearing an old school Auden tee and for reading for the first time Broken Poets. She came all the way from London just to read a Broken Poets. I'm sure there were other things she wanted to do in New York City too, but... 
this was among them. <laughs> Our next reader is Ann Herendine. Give it up for Ann. equations. Barbie said that math is hard, but even Barbie knew that two divided by is not the same as two times two, that ambidextrous does not equal two not hands that together barely do the work of one, and asymmetric each does less than half the other's tasks not two hands squared, but cube root of two. I used to think it was the contrast, a pretty woman's face and body, limbs mangled in gestation's barbed machine that startled people into cruel innumeracy. But this third time, as older, hunched and haggard, I hear it once again, and three, for me, is at least six times too many. From smirking young man, laughing at my pain. Now I know it's fear. Drives battle-shattered warrior to slaughter child at the mother's breast. Rape grieving widow and shit in her mouth. Terror curdling gray matter into quick drying concrete. No time to trace compassion's initials in a heart, a date. So let me tell you my equations as it sets. I am square root of minus one, imaginary number that no one can imagine, negative and positive, neither nor and both at once, matter and anti, coexisting, annihilation in your brain, not mine, the electron of the atom that bleeps and bloops too fast to follow and leaves what seems to be a shell of contrails is but a multitude of unconnected points. You never see the atom whole, just one blip at a time. I'm not an average, not a mean. The human face and voice, the unknown X your formulas don't solve, they're all me. You can't tell me we're all the same until you acknowledge my difference. Can't ignore my deformity, then deny my disability. Perseus, sidling up to kill Medusa, did not attack Oblivious. His last thought, yes, we're all alike, oh, fuck, and turned to stone. He knew to use his shield as mirror, knew the undeflected sight would petrify. What do you think I do? If I can't do it, how can you? Admit it, accept it. Find one wet clump of kindness in your fractal frozen heart and recognize in my surreal reality, me. All right. 
And Herondine, y'all, find one wet clump of kindness in your fractal frozen heart. Is that what it was? That's some poetry right there. Uh, so uh, I neglected to tell you that uh, Darius is going to MC the second half of the open mic tonight. Because uh, So I'm going to Brazil on June 20th. I'm going to be on a beach for like seven weeks. And uh, I'm not going to be here for the July op. And uh, Darius is going to MC that one. So uh, to get his sea legs, he's going to MC the second half tonight. So I got two more readers to introduce. And then I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Phelps. Our next reader is the beloved Hunter Hodkinson. Give it up for Hunter. Thank you for this rose, Evergreen. That was like so fucking sweet. Um, I feel like Morrissey up here. Um, so I decided that I'm going to read a poem tonight about um, the body and the way that it's, I feel like our bodies are all just trying to kill us. Um, and it was about me having strep throat recently. Um, so yeah, this poem is called uh, Strep. Second health crisis in two months, tired. But the body keeps doing that thing, you know, overcoming. I feel selfish waiting for it to heal, pushing it into the freezing cold water of life when it's not ready. I just want to experience what the other kids experience. I'm nowhere near terminal. There's just so much I don't know about this vessel, which I'm forced to pilgrim around in. I'm good at dropping the sails and just floating in the middle of my own world, not paying the bills, not answering emails, pretending I don't have a mother. When the water is calm, I can handle it, this bed, chronically unmade. But when it's choppy, I'm forced to search for blinking lights in the distance, someone to trade supplies with, stock up, fuel. What you doing tonight? No, no, forget it. We will not vibe. <clears throat> You're a cruise liner. People party all over you. Your only purpose is pleasure. I'm a raft, sometimes a rowboat or a kayak, but on rare instances, you'll see me reading a poem up on stage, a warship firing torpedoes into everyone's hearts. But watch how I sink when I come down from this pedestal to the lowest depths, cast a line, reel me in. Right, you're a cruise ship. People party all over you. <laughs> 
Oh, man. That'd be a great advertisement for a cruise. I would take that cruise. Um, okay, the last reader I'm going to introduce is John Agro. Give it up for John. first time so this is uh, a time. and uh, if it does suck you know don't clap just you know let me know right away <laughs> this is called a uh, beach of mirrors <clears throat> I exhausted my final strike my final breath the fight for my heart was hard fought thy sword and spear have disappeared for all I retain is my shattered somber shield in this haunted battlefield. On this serrated shore, no victor arose, no glory foretold, no one left here to even know what's left on my battered home. On thy coast, surrounded by razor-sharp shards of glass, nothing that grows was born to last. Knives of glass, both near and far, as menacing as a garden of scimitars, but as bewitching as the magnificent bright star, truly bizarre, a shore so protrudinous from, from afar, but empty and scarred in my reflection on a beach of cold, broken mirrors. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Appreciate that. Let's keep it going for John. Actually, we have another John up next. Uh, forgive me, I pronounced this wrong. John Garvin White. Did I say it right? G Gavin Wright. Gavin White. Sorry. Excuse me. Let's give it for John Gavin White. Keep it going. All right. How y'all doing? We all right? Yeah. You hear me? All right. Um, for reasons that maybe, yeah, so poetic. It's cool. Yeah, he said my name. Um, this piece is entitled, I Thought Nas Would Have Made, would have made 444 Before Jay-Z. So... It is distance that crushes a black man's larynx radio Raheem-like. I mean, cop or no cop, let's call it for what it is. A black man's fist pummeling the tongue is a fugitive act. Jay-Z, out of all people, said, we know the pain is real, but you can't reveal, you can't heal what you never reveal. And I'm here to reveal the black male as blood sport flailing upon the concrete of some harsh and spectrum city, all while desperately longing for a farm or at least a father's garden to till. But I'm going to keep it real. I was fortunate enough to catch one, you know, a black man as a man not, 
before his rage became a thick plume, a yearning of ash extending from womb to tomb. I saw this black man looking like what can only be described as a parched Vitruvian outline. And before he could ask, how does anything human survive, I approach carrying the same water that was once carried to me. The same water from the same wooden bucket sourced from the same bottom, the bottomless well that appears. Whenever the most black and daddy gone of thirst has been made clear, I needed to make clear that I too was once a black man with no nation until suddenly I had a nation and I was forced to study the history of it. Forced to study the unforgiving fact that geography is fate and the unforgiving geography of the bluest eye eyeing what is black male and inevitable, and I swear if this black man and I was in another world, we would have so much to give. But we are here with unwanted limbs to match unwanted faces, here analogous to not here, because not here is analogous to death, and death is analogous to something either too far or too close to home, but I'm just saying, I'm saying to this black man, if he and I were not not here, we'd be somewhere over there, and over there someone would have the human decency to not call us dead. I mean, just imagine a black man, not a man, not, not ever again, again, not here, but there, where we are simply men, not given the lone option, not giving the lone option of telling the world to either break us or allow us to break how we see fit. But still, this black man and I remain here, here where no matter how many times white women and men have cause for the world to end in the hour of chaos, it always comes to pass. The ink of a blue-eyed inheritance that describes the apocalypse on about one halves of a, of a black man's shaft. Again, historically, it's that simple. I told this black man that he and I are phantasms, as in walking phallic symbols. I said this to this black man. I said this to him, and I was explicit. I was explicit because I needed him to know. I needed him to know that I, too, knew that I, too, was once a black boy crying, and then I was not. And through rememory and motion, I've come to stand before him as a black man who weeps wonderfully. And with a chorus of crows calling all sorts of formidable futures beneath my chest, I've began to cry yet again. Oh, man, my mind just went blank. I'm sorry. Oh. I said this to this black man and I was explicit. I was explicit because I needed for him to know. I needed him to know that I too knew. That I too was once a black boy crying and then I was not. And through re-memory and motion, I've come to stand before him as a black man who weeps wonderfully. And with a chorus of crows, calling all sorts of formidable futures from other dreams underneath my chest, I began to cry yet again. And this black man, this black man, he was strong enough to hold me. All right, good up for John. What a banger last line. I felt that. I really did. All right, our next feature reader is Emma Fuchs. All right, it's good up for Emma. The more coffee I drink, 
the more I mistake my heartbeat for love. Long after you step onto the train, my apartment is still thick with coffee, rich, sludgy air, the grounds, the missing settling into the cracks in the mugs I never cared for. There is not much that I can do. I open the windows. I look in the fridge. Sharp air shivers above the cranked radiator and the smell. You, your coffee, sit like old men at the bar, immovable and always. The candle wick flickers like a cobra, but the drops of vanilla extract I add to the hot wax are not stubborn enough to veil you. It curdles. Thick and evaporated in the pot overnight, I pour what is left of your coffee over the dregs of my tea and then the silty end of one of your milks. Not the one you wanted, but the one I bought because all grains look the same to me. Illustrated threads of gold and liquid dreams. Each time you come home to me, I stock the fridge with another. Soy, almond, oat, sprout, spelt, once even, store brand vegetal drink. The love was always there, of course, but the absolute want, that is a knife that can be sharpened. I keep a blue thimble on my shelf for you, a tiny cup with a handle just so, and after work I sit at my table with this cup pinched between my shaking fingers and down the last cafe creme like a shot, coat the back of my tongue bitter, wait for the jittery that is missing you and knowing I will brew you coffee again some morning with the end of one milk and the froth of the next. Caffeine to really fuck you up. That's why I switched to matcha. <laughs> All right. Let's give it up for our Brooklyn Poets, my workshop buddy, Alexis Dibbs. Today I'll be reading a poem titled, Our Childhood Home. The broken bell harmonizes with our footsteps, always knowing who's coming from where and when, as the hinges on the door sing any time it's left ajar. I've danced often, to the rhythm of the floorboards creaking, danced with the bees who are living beneath it. We swore the pine tree would crush the house before we'd ever leave it. If we listen carefully, we can hear the train in the distance, arriving with the flashing sirens I no longer see. The tulips are planted in front, and grown in the back is the garden that rests in the dirt, fertilized with our childhood dreams. Scattered are the ashes of the dog that showed us unconditional love when our hearts were heaviest and our stomachs full of Sunday bagels. The sun, the sun sets perfectly to the right, and if we slow dance to my childhood bedroom, we could see the sunrise. There's so much green and so many feelings of blue and red and pink. And where do we even begin to leave? Collecting what's left, the memories are buried in the foundation of the mess. I can only carry so much. We didn't plan for a spring cleaning, involuntarily picking up the pieces, forced out with the old, knowing no matter where, Home will forever be home. Sitting on the stoop with our butts imprinted on the slanted steps, reminiscing on the place that holds growing pains at best. There are no secrets behind the chipped paint 
in closed doors. Your tears are never in solitude. When you cry, I cry too. A cardinal rests on my windowsill. As the blue jays are chirping away on the trees blooming pink, I wonder if the leek helped strengthen the roots, allowed for the flowers to blossom, to bloom. There's nothing left to do but sit and feel the feels. The house is literally falling, and figuratively, I am too. But part of what makes us a strong unit is knowing what comes next, even when chaos is knocking, arriving unplanned. Thank you. All right, let's give it up one more time for Alexis. All right. Our next reader of the night is Michael Cohen. All right, let's keep it going for Michael. Great to be here. Good evening. Um, as I said earlier, I had surgery two weeks ago. Um, this poem is called Surgery, uh, using the medical terms, uh, three sections, pre-op, op, and post-op. Um, I experienced some anxiety before, <laughs> and the dreams were a little bit interesting. Part one, <clears throat> pre-op, the night before, one night. I spent the night with God. She visited unexpectedly and explained the complex algorithm that examines your entire life as you approach the middle of your eighth decade. And somehow and surprisingly, after all the calculations, I was entitled to an evening with her. It was amazing. As a gentleman, I will never repeat the words she said out loud, or the things we did. But she granted me permission for two things, to tell you how she looked at me and to describe exactly how her lips felt like on mine. Part two, up, prepared to say goodbye to myself. I've been M. Cohen in this life. I don't know where or who I'll be next, so just in case, I was prepared to say goodbye to Michael, my friend. And now that the operation is successfully completed, that farewell can wait. I remember nothing of the surgery, meaning I remember remembering nothing. Not death, not darkness, but an unimaginable, peaceful blankness that we will have forever. Part three, post-op, the next chapter. Warping with age, the pages are yellowed and frail at the edges. Yet, unlike the inevitable curving of your spine, the book binding holds fast, however fast the pages are turned. And yes, some corners are bent and folded for the purpose of remembrance. This is how far I got, or this is a place I wish to return. Turn the page. A cliche only as old as books, and the pages are rice, papyrus, clay, wood, stone, or paper. Writing about age and pain is pained. 
like the moon or street lamp reflected through the window glass onto my ceiling as I stare straight up, again unable to sleep, waiting for the painkiller to do its job and kill. The body does its job and amazingly heals at the same time it ages and decays. Cut yourself. That wound will heal while some disease or time is ravaging your life. There is nothing like this, this life. Nothing like this, nothing. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. That was beautiful. Let's get, keep it going. Let's give it up for our Brooklyn Poets' own intern of the hour in the back. Let's give it up for Jess. Y'all, I have an X-Files poem for you. Okay. Um, and it's called, You're Never Going to Believe This. So... You're never going to believe this, but I always wanted to speak to you with my shadow mouth, teeth linguaverted, angling towards a more elusive truth out there. Abductees will tell you it's telepathy. No one's lips move, and maybe the lips don't even exist, but it's all understood. Anyway, I trusted you with my lips, my mind, my gun, but we both know the truth that out there under those pines in a downpour, there is something between us always just about to go off. I would die for you, and I always wanted to die for you. You in motel rooms in low light, you in the car, you lost in time, nine minutes we lost, look at my watch, please, trust me, but come back to get your proof. Don't just settle for my truth. Did I do this to you? No, yes. I was face down in the waves and you reached out and found me. I was lost in the triangle and didn't know which direction to look, didn't know what to believe, but I always wanted to believe. And in that alternate universe, I would have never seen you again, but once upon a time, you believed me too. All right, I don't know about you guys, but Justice made the X-Files sign. Hella sexy. Might have to go back and binge watch that shit. <laughs> Let's give it up for our next reader, Megan Wilt. Hi, everyone. Um, so my sister flew out from Ohio to be here with us tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Ohio, worst state in the union. Um, and in an effort to embarrass her as much as possible, I'm going to let you know that she did graduate med school, so if you need a pediatrician, she's in the building. Um, and I'm going to read you guys a poem that I wrote for her. Yes. I'm wearing your socks, you stupid fucking bitch. And what are you going to do about it? It's not my fault mom thinks hugging koalas are more my style, and I just so happened to agree with her when she put them in my drawer. And so what if I allegedly knew they were yours? I didn't have any clean socks left. And while we're at it, I stole your shirt, too. You know the off-the-shoulder black and white one with stripes and a pocket? Yeah, it's in my closet now. Do you think you're the god of this shirt just because it's technically yours? You didn't pay for it anyway. 
And I don't understand why we don't share clothes and love each other like other sisters. And sure, I take after our father, which is to say I'm smaller, and you got mom's jeans proud and taller. But clearly, that won't stop me from trying on everything I see. And I may not be a doctor, but let the record show I aced calculus the second time. So I can put two and two together and see that maybe you're afraid that I won't fit you like you fit me. But we aren't a perfect match, and your clothes look different usually better on me, but I want to know what it's like to carry myself through life with the poise and anxiety you do. Maybe if I look like dad's favorite, his pride will rub off on me too. Like, it's not malicious, I'm not a klepto, I just want to walk a mile in your shoes, but they don't fit. So I'll settle for your socks, and with them still the steadiness of your walk, the confidence that I know where I'm going. No longer a nomad, barefoot and wandering wherever the wind takes me. I steal your shirts to put on the armor you wear every day. I put on the teams for sports I'll never play. Let my arms soak in the strength and ease of throwing a ball or a punch like I've done it for years. It covers my belly and reminds me we are beautiful, even, especially after a good meal. Reminds me to love where I'm at and share that love like I'd share the hot theater gossip with our all too invested mother. I steal your headbands and try on the doctor. And she's not quite the lawyer but I still want to know what it feels like to hold healing in my hands, to have a job more consequential than emails. And maybe that life, your life, isn't for me, but I want to understand why it's yours. So I steal your ponytails and scrunchies to pull my hair back like you. I watched you braid and copied every move. Now I just need the tools to hold it all together. That's why I raided your closet why I wear all of your things, your jewelry, and your rings. And if they fit, can you blame me for saving a bit for myself? So yeah, I stole your fucking socks. Again, what are you going to do about it? That was great, Megan. Love the sisterly love. I actually refer to my sister as stupid fucking bitch, too. So who knew? <laughs> Uh, our next reader is Eva Coiler. Forgive me if I mispronounced that. Let's give it up for Eva. Hi, I am also a first-time reader, so I'm here. Um, and this is a poem I've been working on for a while about a time in my life when everything fell apart for a while and I tried to fix it by traveling. So um, it is called Unplanned. I detrain in Venice, intent on learning the brinish secrets of the lesser canals, but I veer left into the first church. Last night, I watched the live streams while Notre Dame burned. I will make this small pilgrimage while I can. Inside, stone folded light as fabric frames the doors. Angels pressed by painters into the domed ceiling, a testament to imagine glory above a simple checkered floor. The faith of masons, of sculptors, and of saints pulses in their work, illuminates my doubting pulse. Near the exit, a bank of plastic candles. I eye it with distaste. I want to be a traveler, not a tourist. I want the slow conversation of a real flame. But I think of grandma, whose own parents shipped out from an island south of here, now passing what is left of time in Akron, offering up what's left of grandpa's pension Sunday after Sunday, and of her second daughter, who is both ill 
and Catholic. I prayed for you in Italy. Might mean something to them. In my pocket, I find a euro, two 50-cent pieces. I drop the euro first, whisper, Ida Kohler, so God knows which grandma to attend to. A bulb flashes, grows steady. I drop 50 cents, and a second bulb flashes before I drop another. Aunt Beth, I mutter, grateful for this God who accepted my half offering. My hand folds around the last coin. Could my parents share one prayer? Both my sisters? That whole country newly abandoned, or the one where I was born? I'm still puzzling when I drop the last coin, and a candle flares as certain as the others. I don't know what it's for. Maybe God is sifting dreams too dear for words, choosing one, whispering it to the wire wick, igniting something as I jam my hands into my pockets and turn back out to the street. Thank you. All right, thank you, Eva. Give it up again, that's the first time. That was amazing. All right, our next reader is Daniel Muknik. I mispronouncing that right? Much thanks. Oh, sorry about that. That gets mispronounced a lot, so don't feel bad. Uh, hey, everybody. Um, this is called The Siren. I've discovered the siren of myth here in our modern world. I sought her not, but found her still, confirming in no uncertain terms she exists. Yet, a beautiful lady as myth described, she was not. She possessed no head, no hair, no limbs. There was, to be sure, nothing human about her. That is not what drew me in. The siren's hole was black as stone, body lifeless to the touch. Then sucked into the void of my attention she stole. Now battered on the shores of her prison, I'm stuck. Chained to her, subservient, she's become the hand that feeds. And when she's gone, this rocky shore I'm on starts to crumble to the sea. Yet the confounding waves are the very same that carry me to freedom. Just the distance can expunge me from the need to heed her call. For despite all her necessities and despite all her delights, she just arouses in me enmity for her stranglehold of mind. At least, though, she's not a mystery. No, now I know her shape and name with her rectangular glassy face that feeds you pleasure through the pain. And I know, too, I'm not the only one the sirens caught within her snare. Au contraire. In every open palm, I see the signs of her reign. Thank you. All right, thank you, Daniel. Next on deck, we have Jim Stewart, and after him, we have Arthur Russell. All right, let's give it up for Jim. This is called O'Keefe versus a five by five convolution filter. I was at Ghost Ranch, that is how I remember it, torso down on a bed beneath a window at adult waist height where we hide the most vulnerable parts. I feared 
someone would come in, see what I was. I thought I heard a voice, another kid calling to the courtyard, look what Jim's doing. But as happened so often, others' image of me vanished behind a crevice, peeking flirtatiously around the edge like the tip of a nose or an egg scared to crack. No one spoke of it again. How did you see lines? You were everywhere in that place those days, cow skulls and Volvo blooms on every other wall. Did you see the picture we made of you? There's a function for this now. A naked body seated, separated from the sky and water by a nimbus of empty canvas. The filter stepped across the image of the world, compacting and tracing the surfaces. We hope will keep us in, everything else out. The drunk off-duty cop at the Irish bar would not leave me alone, joyfully belting the songs I watched once on cable TV. That control was wide and hardwired, buttons clearly separating the experiences available to us back then. Turns out it was not a window, but the opening of a tent. I spent enough time in tents, hoping a thin stretch of canvas would hide our bodies from the scrutiny of eyes and customs. They were rivers, those branching strokes. You drew them from a plain, but also below, the scars of eons took on those colors we call yours. Beneath, southwest, azure, and cerulean, pink, amber, and bloody red. The Mayans and ancient Greeks had no word for blue. A color is another artificial distinction. That's why you ground your own. A ram's horn recursively curls into darkness that can contain the whole firmament and everything behind it. A banana flower beckons lasciviously for the whole world to come on in. Every white petal will grow to a sweet curved shaft. Sorry, your gradients and edges make me indecent when I speak. Maybe it wasn't ghost ratch at all, just a local maximum. Maybe my tween memory projecting a hallucination of self onto a similar curve. Maybe Alfred called your orchids pussies to make them sell better. I don't know where you saw the lines. Maybe the secret is you couldn't separate yourself. Eagle claws tried to sink into you, but you just shaded around them. I haven't learned this trick. I would not dare photograph the people trying to color into paintings pretending to look at them. I wouldn't dare climb the glittery steps of the hippie bus on 53rd. We took a picture outside instead. It said sex god in the front. Down in Kensington, the honky-tonk band sang Jackson and Delta Dawn. This cannot be a coincidence. I heard those songs rolling between your sandstone cliffs, imagining I could climb them, however high, if I had no fear. Now, I must admit, admit floor-to-ceiling windows appeal to me. Tracy saw an engine grinding out groove from inside the white. Another strategy is a pair to pair away tokens until the negative space begins to speak for itself. I hope I learned this lesson to convolute these matrices together. How lucky you were to live before you had to fear an algorithm could learn it before you did. All right. Thank you, Jim. I don't think I'll ever look at flowers the same again. Um. <laughs> All right, our next reader is Arthur Russell. 
Imogen, thank you so much for that reading. I'll think forever of the bacteria kneeling within me. And I'm so sad to learn from you that Bernadette Myers had passed away. I'll always associate that with this place now. And thank you for that great prompt as well. Um, this is my manuscript. Many of the poems in this manuscript were written here. <laughs> and, um, and then last week it uh, won the uh, 2023 Rattle Chapbook Prize. And <laughs> so I wanted to thank all of you for that and, and all the other Brooklyn Poets people who've been here for it. Um, this is a kind of an ode. It's from this book. It's called The Jetty. It takes place here in Brooklyn, um, down by Brighton Beach. The Jetty. I stood on the slanted, wet, black stones piled from Brighton Beach into Rockaway Inlet with coffee and a cigarette metallic in the cold salt air. Behind me, the six-story shtetl of bricks and heavy Jewish food backed up to the elevated subway, spine of the old neighborhood, escape route bending north over Mrs. Stahl's knishes towards Manhattan. Before me, Grandma Eva's ocean threw up lattices of spume from the blistered sea. I cuffed the drips in winter nose I inherited from my father and squinted towards the wind from Breezy Point, past which I'd sailed as far as Ambrose Lightship once to see the ocean open past explaining. I swabbed locker rooms at 17 and mowed the lawn around the white and red impatience planted in the shape of the burgee of the yacht club where I tendered members to their sailboats at moorings in Sheepshead Bay. Evenings, when they'd all gone home, on my last run among the tethered boats that always swung to face the tide, I smoked and listened to my love on a cream-colored transistor radio with a gold-toned grill and the name Electra etched in red script beside the thumb wheel for the volume. I winched the lightning boats from their trailers on race days and swung them on a davit over a cyclone fence down to the bay. Then followed in the committee boat past Kingsborough College and the seaside nursing home called Menorah, where 40 years later, my father would die. Dropped anchor in the inlet and fired blanks from a cannon to start the race that set this regatta of school teachers, doctors, tradesmen, and a woman named Wendy with short dark hair around a course of red and black channel markers, buoys and bells, white hulls like whale bellies turned upwards on a broad reach, or raising painted spinnakers like pregnant women in summer dresses though none of this could reach me, where I bobbed unhappily 
and waited for the race to end. And then, at 33, after years working with a damp towel over my shoulder and my arms crossed on my chest as the exit manager of the Hollywood car wash on Coney Island Avenue, speaking college French with the Haitians who dried the cars, and leaving for law school while living still in Brighton Beach. I stood on these same rocks, reciting mnemonic devices to prepare for the bar exam, the summer that I also came the closest to dunking a basketball in the playground at Brightwater Court. And 30 years later, with hips as brittle as butter chip cookies, I climb these rocks again to stare at the sea and back at the beach and the boardwalk and the men's room under the boardwalk where a boy once showed me his penis. I cut my feet on a broken bottle here when I ran with my sister to catch the orange drink man. I came for Tuesday fireworks and found my grandparents laughing with neighbors in woven web beach chairs when they were my age now. I brought girls home in my red Monte Carlo. I bought sturgeon from the fish store and cooked it in garlic and butter. I lived across the street from the synagogue where you could hear the men through the open windows murmuring on Yom Kippur while the women outside wondered how long after sunset the rabbi would keep them. I will never leave this place. Thank you all. All right, keep it going for Arthur. All right, our next reader is our very own intern, Kayla Swab. Keep it going. Hello. Um, I wrote this Sestina in Gregory Crosby's workshop with Emma and Jess. I'm just going to keep reading poems from that workshop because it was great. Um, it's called Going Out with the Girls. I couldn't tell you the number of times it started like this. The uptown apartment, a light dinner followed by crushed velvet and spandex, bodies tangling over vanity mirrors, angling for precision-winged eyeliner, flocking to our final call for shots, 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 shots. Stealing hope and inevitable mistakes with a swipe of red lipstick. At the turnstile, clumsily digging through tampons and lipsticks for a metro card, we file into a green number train and shoot downtown, alter egos emerging soaked in East Village lights and cheap whiskey, floating down Avenue B like winged creatures, bodies lifting out of our bodies. Past the bouncer, we keep each other's bodies close, hands clasped around wrists, lipsticked mouths pushing through sweat-logged shadows to the wings of the dance floor. We vow to leave the same number, sorry, we vow to leave with the same number we came with. The lights scatter to the beat, our cue to call the shots. Turned in toward one another, our eyes snap shots beyond our safe circle of bodies, 
searching in the frenetic light for a warm canvas worthy of a lipstick stamp, crunching the numbers and ascending to the honor of wing woman. There to help manifest, prepared to wing it when our girl shoots a panicked glance. She's given him a fake number, needs an emergency exit. Using body as prop, we tell her we need to pee to fix our lipstick. We pull her through a labyrinth of glued bodies and lights to the bathroom where under the fluorescent flicker of lights, she kisses our cheeks. We have earned our wings. Each of us marked with a crushed rose petal. Lipstick makes us mystery. Dares any Kips Bay bro to shoot his shot. (laughs) We blockade with our bodies, halt unwanted advances, our power in numbers. Night expands beyond our deepest memory. The crowd lightens in number. Our wings have grown weary with the bumbling orbit of our bodies. At the end of the night, even now, the lipstick never fully fades, not by a long shot. Thank you. All right, that is our show. Uh, Give it up for Kayla Schwab one more time. Kips Bay Bros. Do we have any Kips Bay Bros in the house? Is Kips Bay even a fucking neighborhood? <laughs> oh, I gotta ask. It's <laughs> that nondescript part of Manhattan. You're like, oh, I'm in like the 40s on the east side. Oh, it's Kips Bay. Um, power in numbers. That's like the Golden State Warriors slogan, by the way. I don't know if you're a Warriors fan, but uh, I'm definitely rooting against the Warriors. Um... Don't leave yet. Uh, I hear people packing up. I've got that teacher's anxiety. Everyone's packing up. Don't pack up yet. We're not, class is not over. I'm going to review the readers uh, and uh, encourage you to vote for a poem of the month. 718-374-1953. Text us the poet's name. First name is really all that's necessary. Uh, if you can remember the last name, that's great too. Uh, we have Kayla Schwab you just heard from. Before that was Arthur Russell, Jim Stewart, Daniel Muchnick, Eva Kohler, Megan Gwilt, Jess Gagne, Michael Cohen, Alexis Dibb, Emma Fuchs, rhymes with books, it says, John Gavin White, John Agro, Hunter Hodkinson, Anne Herondine, Catherine Vaughn, Naomi Brenman, Madeline McSherry, Elia Osmanova, Brian Numey, Numi, sorry, Joan Pichardo, and all the way back to the top of the list, Caitlin Gilmet. Again, the number to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. A couple of announcements before we go. Our next yop is on... uh, Caitlin... (laughs) Caitlin... Kayla. (laughs) What is the second Monday of June? Is it June 12th? Our next yop is on June 12th. The second Monday of the month, as always, that will be led by Cindy Tran, whom some of you may have taken workshops. People, people are already chatting in the back. That's cool. It's not rude at all. Just keep chatting. I'm not talking up here. Uh, the last announcement I'm going to make, again, the Brooklyn Poets Festival, May 25th through 27th. Early registration runs through this Sunday, May 14th. Financial aid can be requested through May 21st. Again, virtual workshop showcase this Wednesday, 
this Friday, Candace Williams book launch in person, 144 Montague Street, and then Saturday, May 13th, intern showcase. That event is free. Thanks for coming. We will see you in June, hopefully. Have a great night. There you have it, the Brooklyn Poetry Op open mic for May 8th, 2023. Thanks to our brilliant teacher and poet, Imogen Christian Smith, for leading the Yop workshop and kicking off the open mic with an amazing set. Imogen's got an extraordinary new book out called Stemmy Things, published by Nightbolt Books. You should check that out if you haven't already gotten a copy. Congrats to Naomi Bremen for winning Yacht Poem of the Month in May for her incredible poem, Call Me Crazy. Naomi has earned a spot in our 2023 Poem of the Year contest, a ticket to our awards gala, and last but not least, a Brooklyn Totes bag. Incidentally, Naomi, after this, applied for a summer internship at Brooklyn Poets and got one, so we'll be seeing a lot more of Naomi Starting next week when our summer interns begin, we're excited about our new cohort of interns. We've got 12 of them coming on board this summer. Uh, they're going to do great work, I am sure. Uh, our next job comes your way in a couple of weeks on Monday, June 12th. As you remember, it's always the second Monday of every month. The June 12th job will be led by Cindy Tran, who's teaching a couple workshops for us this summer. A couple of longer workshops, should say, or five-week workshops. She is teaching a workshop starting pretty soon called The Nude Poem. Enticing title. Uh, studying poems that incorporate uh, nude bodies as, you know, as considered or examined in artwork. And a poem, uh, a poem, a poetry workshop later this summer called The Protest Poem. So uh, if you're interested in checking out that, you'll get a little preview of what Cindy is like as a teacher. Uh, she's going to be doing something on the protest poem at that June 12th yacht. Tickets are available at brooklynpoets.org. Uh, it's $15 for non-members, $10 for members. Uh, a few other things coming up. Uh, we are closed at 140 Montague Street until June 1st when we'll reopen. Uh, June 3rd. The Sweet Action Poetry Collective is hosting a poetry reading and open mic uh, at 144 Montague. Uh, that is a free event. The Sweet Action Collective is kind of an offshoot of Brooklyn Poets. Many former Brooklyn Poets uh, students and members uh, formed that collective way back in the day and have kept it going all this time. So we're excited to host their first event at 144 Montague Street this June 3rd. Next week, we have our first ever fellow showcase to showcase, of course, the work of the fellows, uh, some of the fellows at least, that won a fellowship to take a winter spring workshop. We couldn't feature all of them because not all of them live in Brooklyn or not all of them were available on the 7th, but we're excited to do this moving forward. To add to our showcase schedule, we already have these workshop showcases. We do every workshop season in our new intern showcase, which we did recently, but this will be a third regular showcase that we offer. And then on the 9th, my last announcement, 
the next Brooklyn Poets Reading Series event featuring Danilo Machado, Tage Somerman, and Mervyn Taylor. That is a free event starting at 6.30. Check out all of this at brokenpost.org. Look under events or follow us on social media to keep up with all these announcements. Hope you subscribe to the Offcast on iTunes. Rate us five stars. It helps more listeners find these poets. Okay, that is all. Thanks for listening. We will see you in June. Take care.